is another episode of the Fuzzy Mike. This is the Fuzzy Mike. The interview series without format, without boundaries, without focus. Fuzzy, pretty much based on this goofy-looking microphone here. Bit of a horse's tail. This <laughs> is the Fuzzy Mike. My interests are... They're vastly enormous. Damon Bradshaw. Damon Bradshaw is the driver of the Monster Energy Monster Truck. I love NASA. I love death metal. Uh, Lindsey Wink, you are a fan favorite. I don't get to talk about that on the radio, and so this is like my little outlet. When I get to talk to you know artists that I really look up to and I admire, and I don't think you've ever written a bad song, this no. just makes it totally well, worthwhile me, for me. What's your email? <laughs> the fuzzy mic. There we go. guest today on the Fuzzy Mike is a revered and renowned boxing ring announcer for Top Rank, and he is the gentleman who coined this phrase right here. Y veremos quién es el más macho. The unmistakable and distinguished voice of Lupe Contreras. Welcome to the Fuzzy Mike. I'm excited. This is probably the first podcast I've been invited on where I'm positive that me, the host, and his mom aren't going to be the only ones listening to it, so... I'm excited to be here. You ever spoken into a microphone that kind of looks like Don King's hair? Not quite this fuzzy. I mean, I've had things with this much growth that close to my face before, but never on a microphone, no. All right, I'm going to try and get the catchphrase right. Quien es el más macho? Did I get it right? Uh, well, yeah, it's close enough. It's, 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 you know, ninth grade Spanish worthy, your pronunciation. But yeah, it's quien es el más macho. Veremos quien es el más macho. What's that mean? It's like, let's see who the toughest guy is. You know, macho is a very Latin concept in the sense that it's it's more than just being tough. It's it's being manly. It's being the guy who who does what he's supposed to do. And when something tough is in front of him, he doesn't back down. You don't back down. You go for it. And really, boxing that's what it's all about. Let's see who's the toughest guy in the ring. You know, it's so true about Mexican fighters too, because I don't ever remember a Mexican fighter who didn't want to prove their toughness. That's part of the. It's part of the culture. People always ask me why are there so many you know Latin or Mexican fighters. It happens to be one of the things that we do well. You know, we we. Uh, I've always said that you're, most people have an amateur record as kids. It's, it's always at, at a, a Mexican piñata where they'll whip out the gloves, they'll put two kids you know, in the center of the yard, give them some gloves, and you go at it. And uh, yeah. you decide pretty quickly if it's for you or if, or if it's not for you, yeah. and you go on from there. So is that how you got started in your career in boxing? I, was, I worked in radio at a time. I did, for, I did radio for about 10 years in the, in the early 90s. And at the time, I was training at the Muay Thai kickboxing gym. I had uh, three fights at a very amateur level, you know, enough to know that I should get into something else. And at the time, it was kind of where, where MMA was barely emerging. At the time, they called it NHB, No Holds Barred. And the local gym owner was putting together a show, and he knew I had some broadcast experience. He said, hey, you want to be the ring announcer? I said, yeah, that'd be, that would be great. I'll give it a shot. And so I did two shows for him. I don't think I even got paid. I think he paid for, like, my tuxedo rental or something along those lines. But it just so happened that at one of those shows, someone took a picture of me, in the ring with the tuxedo, so it looked very legit, very, uh, very professional. And one morning, I happened to be watching television, and like I said, this was in the early 2000s, and, and I couldn't sleep one Sunday night. And I woke up, and I'm flipping through the channels. Everything was infomercials except for the, for the Spanish channel, Univision. Uh, so I, I stayed there and just kind of was trying to wait to go and, and doze off back to sleep. And during that time I was watching, a commercial came on. There was a show called uh, República Deportiva, which is the best way I can describe it. It's, it's Sports Center meets Hooters. So part of that show, they were doing a contest called La Voz del Box, or The Voice of Boxing. And they said, if you want to be the next voice of boxing, tune in 
find out the details and uh, submit your information. So I did, and I submitted that picture along with a recording. And a few months went by, and I thought, eh, and they found somebody with, you know, that was much more qualified than I, and, and they gave them the job. But eventually I got a phone call. They flew us down to Miami, and they made it sort of, a, of an American Idol-type contest. We performed each uh, an intro at the show. Uh, out of those 10 people that performed, they chose four of us to go do an actual live event. Uh, luckily for me, I was one of the only people that had it real broadcast experience and actual, you know, I had been in front of the, 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 the rowdy concert crowds, the, the rowdy bar crowd. So I knew how to react to an aggressive crowd, which is boxing is notorious for having aggressive crowds. So it went okay for me. It didn't go perfectly, but it went okay. The other guys didn't have as, as good of a luck. Uh, and, uh, and they stuck with me. And I thought it was going to be a case of they were going to give me a T-shirt and a videotape and say, hey, we hope you enjoyed your, you know, your 15 minutes of fame and we'll go from there. Um, but no, they kept calling me back and eventually it just kind of snowballed. I started working with other promoters, other networks, um, and started working, you know, the undercards, which is, you know, like being the opening act for guys like Michael Buffer and Jimmy Lennon. And they can't be at all, the, all the events. So that's what happened where, you know, one HBO, Michael couldn't make it. Uh, they said, Hey, you know, you're getting the call up. You're, you're next up on it. And, uh, and it just kind of went from there. And, and I've been in it for about 20 years now. And now you're under contract with top rank. So, I mean, that's not usually the way it works. That's pretty atypical, right? It is atypical. Most guys go on a show-to-show type basis, and, and you're pretty much freelance. I was very fortunate in the sense that, as I mentioned, I had done two small shows, and then essentially from there it was all televised uh, major boxing events. So I've been very fortunate in that sense. Uh, I was in a very unique situation where, as I mentioned before, I had a broadcast experience. I, I was a huge fan of boxing and combat sports in general. So I knew all the details. I knew the differences between a unanimous decision, majority decision, technical draw, and I had broadcast experience. And they wanted a, a certain sound, a certain knowledge, and a certain look. And, and thankfully for me, I had all those things going. Oh, and they also wanted a bilingual person. And that is the one thing about your style, Lupe Contreras, that separates you from every other ring announcer. The way that you can seamlessly move Spanish into uh, English, it's just amazing. Well, well thank you. It, one thing I've always, I always point out to people, it's really not that unique of a talent. It happens all the time everywhere you go. In most Mexican households, you have multi-generations living in, in, one, in one household. You'll have grandma, you'll have mom, and then you have the kids. The kids, for the most part, have grown up in the U.S., so they, they speak predominantly in English. Most of the time, grandma doesn't speak English at all. So you're talking to your brother in English, and then you just switch into Spanish and go talk to grandma, ask her a question, or she'll have a question that, you're, that you have another cousin who doesn't speak uh, Spanish, and you're translating, you're going back and forth. So it's sort of a talent you're developing your entire life. You really don't even realize it is a talent. You told me that like early in your career, you were doing like what they call house shows, and it said sometimes the crowd can turn on you. What was like the scariest situation? You know, maybe not scariest situations, but but the crowd can be very animated, and they they look for a target to abuse. And since you're the guy in the center of the ring, you're the easiest target they can find. The, the Mexican crowd is notorious for just being merciless when it comes to to heckling whomever. They heckle the boxers, they heckle the announcer, they heckle everyone. There was a moment where I was, um, we were in, in Dallas at the American Airlines Arena. And there comes a moment where when the main event ends, that, that's usually not the end of the show. Sometimes they have what, what are called walkout bouts, which means there's two or three bouts that are after television has ended. And they call them walkout bouts because typically the audience is walking out. They're really not paying attention. They came to see the show. 
and they've had enough and they're kind of on their way out, but there's still some, some boxing going on. So there's usually a transition between, you know, they're doing their closing comments on television, and but I could see that they were about to bring the fight in. So I'm standing in the ring, and I'm just kind of waiting patiently for them to give me the cue. Okay, we're, here we go. We're going to get started. And by that time, everybody's kind of ready to go, so you, you kind of do it, you know, as quickly as possible. So I'm standing there, and from the rafters, I hear a guy. He says in Spanish, and it sounds like he has a microphone. Well, sure, because the arena's like cavernous. There's nobody there now. Oh, it just it just echoed throughout the arena. He says, Lupe, always wearing the same damn tux. And the crowd, you know when they take that one little moment where they're, they're sort of uncomfortable, but it was so funny, they just kind of like, uh, and then they just erupt in laughter. And I'm sitting there in the middle of the arena. There's nowhere for me to hide. There's nowhere for me to go. And... And I frankly, it was pretty funny. So I, I, I have to, I have to uh, go along with it. And that's the thing about, you know, I have multiple tuxedos, but most people can't tell the difference. Well, we can definitely tell the difference looking here because, I mean, there's a black jacket and there's a white jacket. When do you decide what to wear? Which one? You know, I just rotate them. Uh, in television, white jackets are kind of a no-no. It throws off the white balance on, on screen. If you look at it, sometimes it'll interfere with some of the graphics. As a ring announcer, and it... Probably is obvious. I mean, it should be anyway, what your job is. But what is the role of the ring announcer? Your role is, is uh, you're a conductor of sorts. As you're introing the fight, your job is to light that fuse, is to get the audience up to kind of like the, that point in the roller coaster where you get to that, where it's, it's cranking you up, you know, where you hear the roller coaster yeah. cranking, you're like, click, 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 and then you hear the click stop. And then you realize something's about to happen after that point. So your job is to get it to, to, to that exact point where the crowd is, is just ready to explode. Um, you give every fight, regardless of, is if, if there's no one in the crowd, regardless of how smart the crowd may be, you give everybody that Vegas pay-per-view intro because they've earned it. It's their moment. Well, not only is it exciting for the crowd, it has to be exciting for the fighter too. Yes, the fighters appreciate it. I go up to every single fighter uh, before the show. I go into the locker room. I ask him how he wants to be introed, uh, where he wants to be introed from. Sometimes you have, you know, managers who are like, uh, I want this guy intro from New York. But the guy's like, I train in New York, but I'm really from, you know, Tuskegee, Alabama. And, and that's where my folks are watching, you know, and that's the, that's the town I want to put on the map. So then in a situation like that, who takes precedence? Oh, the fighter. The fighter always takes precedence in the sense that it, he's the one taking the punches. So whatever he says goes. What's the best compliment a fighter's ever given you about their intro? The best compliment, it's usually not what they say. It's what I see the reaction in the ring. I'm introing them, and you try to give it this buildup to where it reaches a crescendo. You'll see a physical reaction from the fighter. You'll see the fighter get excited. You'll see his body tense up. Sometimes you'll see them start punching themselves. And when you get up, especially when there's a particular point when you, when you mention their town and you mention where they're from, and they just start getting really excited. And that's, that's the, where I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm here for. This is what is... Um, is my role to get him ready to go, to get him hyped up. And, uh, and when I see that happen, that, that's really the biggest compliment for me. For a ring announcer, how does the atmosphere of, say, a, a local promotion differ from a pay-per-view? The anticipation is much greater. The promotion is much bigger as well. Who you see in the crowd, you'll see bigger names. You know, that's one of the best things about being in, in Vegas. You look over and you say, hey, that guy kind of looks like Will Smith. You're like, holy crap, it is Will Smith. <laughs> or... Um, I, I, I call these I call them Forrest Gump moments where they're, they're, you have experiences where you're like, wow, I never thought I would be in this position. At, uh, at one of the fights in Vegas, 
I stepped into the hallway just to get away from the crowd for a little bit. It was like a back hallway. And all of a sudden, the door opens up. And out comes, it was, it was a group of four people. It was Brad Pitt, Angelina Jolie, Gwen Stefani, and who was her, whoever her previous husband was. Gavin, before, Ros- Gavin Rosdow, yes. And a massive security guard. So it's, it's, uh, it's these six people in that room. And, and uh, you know, you're like, when did I ever think I would be in a hallway with, with this, this level of, of stardom? Well, you talk about one of those Forrest Gump moments, one of those I can't believe I'm here moments. Um, your dad actually turned you on to boxing because of El Gran Campeón. Right, Julio Cesar Chavez, yes. And you were in the ring announcing him for his last professional fight. And now, ladies and gentlemen, from a jam-packed Staples Center, this is the main event of the evening. Scheduled for 10 rounds of boxing and wearing the colors of Mexico, green, white, and red. And weighing in at an identical 143 pounds of the countless legendary Mexican warriors to step in the ring. He is regarded as the greatest of all time. Tonight, he bids farewell to his millions of adoring fans and to a stellar career consisting of 106 victories with five losses, two draws, and an incredible 88 victories coming by way of knockout. The former super featherweight, former lightweight, and former super lightweight champion of the world, the Culiacán, Sinaloa, Mexico. El gran campeón mexicano, Julio Cesar Chavez. Describe that feeling. My dad is the typical hardworking Mexican immigrant. Uh, he's one of those guys that I've, I never saw him buy himself anything. Buy himself a, a new pair of pants or everything that he got was either a hand-me-down or someone gave it to him for Father's Day. But when it came time to, to watch a, a Chavez fight, uh, he was dropping down whatever that forty nine ninety five was at that time, and we weren't a prosperous family. But he found a way to to see that, uh, for the simple fact that in, in, there are certain icons in, in sports. You know, your Ali's, your 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 Michael Jordans, and and Chavez is that way for the Mexican fan base. Where not only was he a great fighter, but he reminds you that you can come from nothing and become something, and that's really what what the appeal was. More so than just boxing was the fact that. You've got a guy, you know, very little education, um, who's probably had the world against them, but he found some way to make a niche for himself and to make himself, you know, not only a superstar but a multimillionaire. And that that resonates big with the immigrant immigrant crowd. And I think that's what resonated with my father as well, where he was he was a guy who beat all the odds, and he was oh, one man. of us. He was he was part of our people, and he you know felt that need to do so. But to be in there with the in the ring with him. As I said, it was one of those moments where you have to really calm yourself down and say, hey, you know, this is, this is what you waited for. This is what you were here for. And you remember watching him on pay-per-view as a kid, and you think, wow, it, it's, it's really one of those moments that you never imagined that you'd be in. But now that you're in it, you better live up to the, you better live up to the hype. So we just mentioned the legendary Julio Cesar Chavez. Who on the current roster of top-ranked fighters should we be looking at and paying attention to? The name you need to be paying attention for is Teofimo Lopez. He's a, he's a guy that, uh, he's a real phenom. He's an action fighter. Action fighter. 
he he is there. He puts exclamations on the shows, and uh, and then he tops them off with doing like this major backflip in the ring after after going you know hard eight nine rounds, whatever it might be. He still has the energy to go up in the air and just make the somersault. It, and that's part of what what you have to be as a fighter. A, a lot of people ask me, what does it take to have a a, a great fighter? And you, the only way you're going to be good as a fighter and be a household name is if you're special. And it's different from any other sport. You can be an average running back in the NFL and you can still make a good living. Nobody, no one expects you to be a big personality. No one expects you to be a big draw. A fighter, you can't just be a good fighter. You've got to be charismatic. You've got to have a fan base. And you also have to be good at what you do. And, and that's a, a tough combination. That's why you have so many or so few fighters who are household names because it requires a real – we're always looking for Michael Jordan in basketball. And in boxing, you have to be Michael Jordan. Well, I'm Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali and all those other guys to really become a household name, to really become that superstar. But uh, Delfimo Lopez is the guy you really need to look out for. So the heavyweight fight this weekend, is it going to be worth our attention to watch this one? Wilder versus Fury 2. I believe so. It's a very intriguing fight. It's a fight where if you saw the first one, you had a guy in Tyson Fury that a lot of us didn't know a lot about because he's a mega star in the U.K., but it's kind of like being, you know, the top player in the CFL. You know, no one, no one cares up until you make it in the NFL. So he showed up in, in the U.S., you know, big charismatic guy, big personality. You know, he's an he's a Irish gypsy who lives in the U.K. Uh, he has this, and I, I don't mean in a negative way, he kind of has like this used car salesman way about him where he, you know, he, he, he's very brash, very loud. He's a seller. He's a seller, yeah. He wears these crazy suits. Uh, and just a huge personality. So everyone thought, no, this guy's just all personality. Uh, and he was fighting Wilder, a guy with incredible power, a guy who's been knocking out everyone that was, was in front of him. And then Wilder was having the time of his life trying to catch up with, with Tyson Fury, who outboxed him for, for the majority of, of, of the fight. But the thing you have to worry about Wilder, Wilder, I've always compared him to a lightning bolt on a sunny day. You think the sky is clear and you're about to coast to a nice win, and then crack, here comes that lightning bolt and just changes absolutely everything. Well, it happened in the 12th round of their first fight. That's exactly. And, and Fury looked, there are memes on the internet be, uh, uh, with this punch because he literally looked unconscious and lifeless on the canvas. And the referee was close to waving off the fight. And then he just pops up. Like, if you're a big wrestling fan, it was comparable to The Undertaker in wrestling right. where he just pops up. And not only does he survive the round, but he comes back and he wins the round. When usually when a guy gets hit with a shot like that, he either does not get up, or if he gets up, he will be on the canvas very soon thereafter again, and, and the fight will be over with. But he, he, he turned the fight around at that point. Well, in the first fight, Fury got knocked down twice and still walks away with a draw. On one card, he actually won the fight, was close on the second card, and then the third card called it a draw. I mean, that's how thoroughly he outboxed Deontay Wilder. That he got knocked down twice and still walked away with not losing. He fought perfectly. He moved around. He jabbed. He frustrated Wilder. But as I mentioned before, it, it's the equivalent of being down 100 to nothing in a game, and then you can erase that deficit with one shot, and that's exactly what Wilder is. So in Wilder Fury 2 this coming weekend, will Tyson Fury play it even more cautious because he's felt Wilder's power, or will he go forward even more aggressively because he has felt Wilder's power and survived it? What's odd with most fighters, it's the exact opposite. They'll, they will believe that they can take it now. They, they felt it. Usually when, when fighters get hit, it's because they, they weren't ready for the, fight, or for the punch, I should say. 
they weren't expecting the power that comes along with it. But now he knows what it's like. He knows what it feels like to get hit by, by Wilder. However, if you look at their most recent fights, Tyson Fury has struggled with, let's be honest, with, uh, with you know, B-level opposition. Wilder, however, has had two of the most dramatic knockouts that you'll, you'll see in recent boxing history. The one he had against Dominic Brazil. I mean, it looked like there was a sniper in the rafters and shot Brazil, and he just fell to the ground like a, like a marionette that you cut the strings. But to me, the most impressive one was the one he had against Luis Ortiz, where it's kind of a little bit of inside baseball, but he punched Ortiz on the forehead, which usually you're not, you, you'll hurt your hand as opposed to, to knocking someone out with a shot to the forehead. But he hit him to the forehead, and if you look at some of the videos on Instagram, you see the, the, the concussion from the blow, and you see the sweat launch about four or five rows into the crowd, and Ortiz just drops. And he's a big guy. He's a big guy. He's a big guy and a great fighter as well. And the power that Wilder can generate is scary. And he's, he has shown that his power is, is even getting better, if, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So th- that's where you, know, you see a little bit of the intrigue in this fight. But also Tyson Fury is the type of guy. You'll, you'll have fighters that will fight up to the level of their opponent. I absolutely think Fury is one of those guys. I mean, you think about the two best performances he's had of recent memory. You have Wilder Fury won, and then when he beat Klitschko. Now, I mean, that was a snore fest of a fight, but he outboxed Klitschko, and he does. I think he fights to the level of his opposition. And I think that's who he is. He's he's a guy who he likes, you know, he likes talking trash. He likes having someone that he fears in front of him. And in boxing, fear is a great motivator. If you're, and I don't mean it's fear in the sense that, you don't want to get in the ring, but you know that, that your opponent has certain tools that, that negate whatever you do. And obviously, power erases everything, as we've mentioned before. And Fury knows that he has to fight a perfect fight. If he doesn't do it again for, for 12 rounds, as I mentioned before, Wilder has just looked scary strong in these last few performances. And Tyson hasn't quite looked that way. So w- w- that's the intrigue for me. You mentioned in the Ortiz fight when he got knocked out by Wilder that sweat flew four rows deep. Uh, you ever been sprayed with sweat, blood? I mean, I mean, you're right there, your front row. I always wonder what my dry cleaner thinks because I show up with blood, Vaseline, and sweat all over my suits. Let's talk specific boxers. Manny Pacquiao, no longer top rank, uh, but was with top rank for a long time. Manny Pacquiao, yeah, he was a top rank fighter. He's with uh, what they call PBC now or the Al Heyman promotion. And uh, Manny's one of my favorite people in the world, man. Think we'll see another Mayweather-Pacquiao fight? I don't know. I don't know if there's as much interest as there as there was in the past. Um, there's a lot of talk about Manny fighting a lot of different guys out there. I think Errol Spence is on that list. Errol Spence, even Conor McGregor. There was talk about him fighting Conor McGregor, which I think would be a huge mistake for Conor McGregor. Well, he's fought Mayweather before. Why would it be a huge mistake to fight Pacquiao? Manny, however, is uh, he's a wind-up toy that you just let him go, and he has one speed. Uh-huh. He's going to come for you. He's going he's gonna to take you out. And and as pleasant, I've never met such a pleasant person outside of the ring, and such a violent human being inside of it. He's always laughing, always smiling. I had the opportunity to do a fight with him in uh, in Macau, China, which has a huge Filipino population. You couldn't go anywhere um, without people asking you. And and he is such a star that if you uh, you're a part of the show, his star power transfers onto you. You would walk out in, in the arena and they'd be like, they would see you. And the Filipinos have mastered the selfie, by the way. So you'd walk through an ocean of Filipinos and you'd take, you know, several hundred selfies. The, the happiest, most pleasant, most joyful people you'll ever find. And um, 
And yeah, it was just it was just quite the experience to see that to to see him in his element among his people, and you realize what a massive star he truly is. Well, you, you talk about massive stars in boxing. I I don't remember the exact quote, but I think I remember reading something to the effect of you were awestruck when you were in the ring with Evander Holyfield. Yes. Evander, Evander Holyfield was actually my favorite fighter. And I was just in awe of his physique. If you remember him, he was yeah. the first guy that I recall that he just looked like Atlas in the ring. Just cut up, uh, in incredible shape, and he always had great fights. And most people don't realize that he was heavyweight champ, but he was a very small heavyweight compared to the guys he fought. Riddick Bowe, uh, Lennox Lewis. These guys are massive human beings. Bowe and Lewis, pro- Lewis are probably right around maybe six foot six. Holyfield's about my height, maybe six one, six feet. And he gave these guys the fights of their lives. And just to watch him, and I had the chance to do two fights of his, uh, one in Corpus Christi and one in El Paso. And it was that same feeling, as I said, going back to the Forrest Gump moments, we look across the ring, and there's Evander Holyfield. You know, he's, he, it, granted, you know, along with Chavez, it was very late in their careers. But, um, but just to have the opportunity to see these guys that you watch, you know, on ABC, Wide World of Sports, and now you're getting a chance to announce them, it's a, it's a fantastic feeling ever been in a ring with a boxer who scared you they'll scare you in the sense that you talk to them and you know they're very different human beings uh a lot of fighters and i don't want it to sound like an insult it's just the the, the best comparison I, I can make it a lot of fighters are like pit bulls you ever heard people say my pit bull never bit anyone and he would and a lot of fighters are nice until they're not and a lot of fighters there's there's many there are many who can turn it on and turn it off or know where to control it there's some guys that's just their nature well, in his last fight, I can't remember who did the interview. I think it might have been Andre Ward, but sat down with Terrence Bud Crawford. And for all accounts, Bud was very congenial, very cordial. He said, but when I get in the ring, I want to hurt you. Well, you, you have to remember the guy across from you is trying to hurt you as well. You know, there, there are no timeouts in boxing. Uh, the sooner, if you ever see a fighter after he knocks his opponent, you see him yell and he just does like this war cry. A lot of that is just relief that the fight is over with. Sure. You can go back and... and and be your normal self again. You don't have to be on guard the entire time. And most fighters are very passive guys. They're very passive. They fight all the time. You know, they're, they're constantly in the ring. They have nothing to prove. I know a lot of guys in the crowd think, you know what, I could do that. I could, I could hang with Manny Pacquiao because he's only, you know, 140 pounds or 147 pounds. These are very different human beings. I, I compare it to the guy who thinks he can go up to a cheetah and pet it. He's like, animals love me. You know, and three minutes is a long time. If, if you've noticed, people always talk about, oh, I've had guys come up and say, you know, I'm, I'm undefeated in street fights. The thing they forget about street fights, usually one guy fighting and one guy getting beat up. It's very different when the other guy fights back or it's very different when you hit someone and the guy's like, hmm, OK, right. is that all you got? Yeah, walks right through it. There's nothing more discouraging than hitting someone with everything you got. And the guy's like, hmm, you know, that did absolutely nothing to me. Lupe Contreras, the voice of Top Rank Boxing. You can check him out on the upcoming Top Rank cards. You know, I appreciate your mentorship. I appreciate our friendship. And I really, really do respect the job that you do. You're one of the best, buddy. Well, thank you, man. I, I appreciate uh, I appreciate our friendship as well. Ah, that means a lot. Wilder Fury 2, this Saturday, pay-per-view. Lupe Contreras, thank you so much for joining us on the Fuzzy Mike. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. My thanks to Lupe Contreras, the voice of Top Rank Boxing. Thanks also to Andrew Kapolsky, who made the introduction to Lupe and myself years ago, and it's been very beneficial to my growth as a broadcaster and announcer. The Fuzzy Mike is produced by Trish Klein, Bill Tater, and A.J. Ramos. I am your host, Kevin Klein. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on The Fuzzy Mike. Fuzzy Mike.
Mike. Thanks for listening to the Fuzzy Mike. Check back often and stay fuzzy. Wait a second. Did we read that right? Stay fuzzy?